Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. We're now going to jump into the sermon series. Uh, we are finishing up this sermon series. We've been doing a, a vision series called Gospel Over Everything. Next week we're going to begin a new series, and it's a really simple series. It's just a bunch of standalone series. And so um, next week um, I'm going to give a message um, that has yet to be written. Um, I don't know what that is yet, so if you guys will be praying with me towards that, um, that'd be great. And then, like I said, Jake will be here, Riley will be here, Shannon will be here, and so we'll just be doing kind of a standalone time uh, to get us into the fall, and then we'll be launching a new full series uh, come September. And so just so you guys know what's coming up, um, we'll just kind of have some standalone teachings for the next month um, as we transition from summer over to fall. So we're wrapping up today our vision series, Gospel Over Everything. We started the series by kind of answering this question, what is the gospel? And this question of what is the gospel is answered in a very simple phrase that is Jesus Christ is Lord. A lot of times we get the gospel all kind of muddied up and we say, well, it's about this and it's about that. It's about praying this prayer and it's about doing these things. But the reality is that the gospel is a proclamation about something that's true. And so whenever a Caesar would take over and become king or become ruler, there'd be an evangelical that would run to the town and proclaim, Caesar is Lord. And you'd have to bow and submit to that. And so this is where we get the idea of gospel, and this is where we get the idea that Jesus Christ is Lord because Jesus comes and he proclaims that he is king and ruler over all things. The Next week we talked about worship. We talked about how the word worship in the Old and New Testament means to bow down. That to worship is to kind of lay prostrate. That it's an appropriate response to a king. It's an appropriate response to a king to, to lay your life down and worship and bowing and adoration before him. And then last week we talked about discipleship. We said that discipleship is about invitation and it's about challenge. It's about a relationship that is both high in invitation where there is deep community, but also that there's high challenge, that we don't get to stay where we're at, but that we get to grow and become. And we use these other words as well, like kind of belong, that we want people to know that they belong, but also this is a place where they get to become and be transformed into people that God has called them to be. And then finally today, we're going to talk about mission. I think mission is, in many ways, kind of a, a third-tier extension of discipleship. I don't think we necessarily get to mission without discipleship happening. And that mission, in many ways, mimics discipleship in that it is a place of high invitation and high challenge for those that we come in contact daily. But if we were to kind of boil mission down to one word and just kind of oversimplify it, I think the idea of mission is to invest. That mission is about investment. It's about investing resources. It's about investing time. It's about investing energy. It's about giving of ourselves. So last fall, if you guys can kind of track back, remember that far. If not, it's okay. I'll remind us where we were. But last fall, we did like a four-week series on mission. And we kind of kicked off that series by reading Acts 1.8. And we said that this is kind of the vision for Damascus Road as we talk about mission and how we want to do mission. And so I just want to revisit there before we launch into where I believe God is calling us to think about mission as we continue to grow and move forward. And so Acts 1.8 says this. It says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so he looked at that passage and he saw that the Holy Spirit comes and he gives us power and that we're to walk in that power and that we're to go with boldness and confidence. I don't know about you, but I need that reminder. I need that reminder to go out into our world with boldness and with confidence that the Holy Spirit is with us, that he's near to us, and that he has ordained this work that is mission. And then we saw these kind of four cities, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and we saw that what we were called to do in these different four areas as the scope kind of expanded from the local context to the worldwide context is that we were to be a witness. And that being a witness includes serving and sharing. That we're called to serve and that we're called to share with one another. Which gets us really close to kind of this idea of investing. This idea of investing. And so this morning I just wanted to kind of start where we started last fall and say that this is how we often think about mission. And this is how we affirm mission at Damascus Road. And we want to be a part of programs. We want to be a part of things that allow us and enable us to be able to serve Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, and the ends of the earth. But when we think about mission, I also want us to think just a little bit deeper and a little bit more critical than that. And I want us to think a little bit more creatively around mission than just about like, hey, I'm going to grab some buddies and we're going to have an awkward conversation about Jesus. Because I think that that's kind of, if we're honest about mission, that's kind of what we think it is. We're like, all right, it's Mission Sunday. We're going to hear a message that says, you know, (laughs) 10 best openers for talking to your friend about Jesus. And for as much as we do need to talk to our friends about Jesus, I think that our ideas and the way that we can approach mission can be much more authentic and real and relational than anything like that. And so when we think about mission, I want us to kind of Think about these three questions throughout this Sunday, and I want you to kind of maybe even write them down and meditate them on these questions throughout the week. So, you know, in the worship series, I in the worship message, I encourage us to write some worship songs. I know that some of you have taken to that challenge and you're starting to write down some words of adoration and of bowing down before God, and, and that you've turned those into prayers. Last week, I said, hey, go through the New Testament and focus on where do you see Jesus constantly doing this rhythm of invitation and challenge where he's inviting people to belong and challenging them to become the people he's called them to be. And this week, I want us to kind of look at these three questions, just kind of meditate on them and see what God stirs in us as we think through these questions. So the first question is, what does God care about? What does God care about? We need to be able to open ourselves and be able to hear from the Holy Spirit what God is caring about in our current context. Because the reality is that what God cares about, I want to care about. The next question is, is what is God doing? What is God already doing around me? What does God want us to do? Because I want to do that. And so we hear from God and we hear how he answers these questions. And finally, where is God moving? Because I want to be there. So what does God care about? What is God doing? And where is God moving? And I know doing and moving are about the same thing, but I think they're, they're nuanced just enough that if we think about it, that God might be doing something, but just because he's doing it doesn't mean that we're ready to get to moving. And so I like the doing and moving, a place where we can be challenged in ourselves. And the question is, is how do we do this? How do we engage 
with God where he's at. And this morning I want to go to this teaching of Jesus's from Matthew 6, 19 through 33. And I think when we read this teaching, it's going to seem like kind of completely disconnected from mission. Like I don't think you would initially read this, this passage and this teaching from Jesus and be like, yes, this is about mission. It's super clear. But what I find is that as we look at the principles that Jesus teaches us in this passage, it's incredibly and directly related to the idea of mission, especially these questions about what is God caring about, what is God doing, and where is God moving. So if you guys want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 33, it's kind of long, but I felt like we needed the whole passage. I felt like we needed the whole thing. I felt like to cut it short was to kind of do a disservice to the teaching that Jesus is doing here. And so we want to read the whole thing and we'll kind of unpack it as we go. So chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves a treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, for what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. For... Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither reap nor sow, nor gather into barns, yet the heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious by saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your teaching here in Matthew about our treasure, about our eyes, about our masters, about our treasures, about our heart, about our anxiety. God, I pray that you would teach us this morning how to be on mission for you in real practical ways that we would be able to step out here kind of taking the first steps and being empowered, being clothed in this power and going in power as you call us to in Acts. That we might be on mission in the context that you've brought us in. God, that you would give us freedom to have imagination, to dream up new ministries and new opportunities to love your people and the people that you've put around us. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear where you want to move among us. In your name we pray. Amen. So when we look at this passage, there, there's just a lot going on here. I mean, it starts off by talking about treasures, 
and treasures on earth versus treasures in heaven. He talks about good eyes and bad eyes. He talks about serving a master and that you can't serve two masters, that these two masters are God and money. He talks about then anxiety around our money. He talks about anxiety around our physical possessions. And he says that, hey, you know this anxiety that you feel around your, spiritual, around your physical possessions? Guess what? It's a spiritual matter. And I think sometimes we don't always think about that and how our physical world impacts our spiritual reality. A lot of times we want to live disassociated. We have our spiritual life over here and we have our physical life over here. But here Jesus talks about everything that's physical in our life and he says, you're really anxious about that. All of this physical stuff is actually a, phys- a spiritual problem that we need to address that we need to take care of. And then he ends kind of the whole teaching by talking about seeking first the kingdom of God. And if we look at kind of the bookends of how Jesus begins this teaching and how he ends this teaching, he begins with this one concept of just like, where are you investing? Are you investing in earthly things? Are you investing in heavenly things? And then he ends by saying, are you seeking the kingdom of God? Are you investing in the kingdom of God? Are you seeking that place first? And I think this is where we begin to have a kind of a taste or a shift in our mind of how this passage might be actually about mission and about something bigger than just our personal finances and just our worries and concerns and just our physical possessions. Because Jesus is saying all of this stuff is actually about something much bigger and it's about my kingdom and it's about serving my people. It's about seeking my kingdom first, which is an appropriate response when the message is Jesus Christ is Lord. When someone becomes king, they have a kingdom. And the way you serve in that kingdom or the way that you respond to the fact and the truth that that person is king is that you invest into that kingdom. You pour yourself into that kingdom. And so this language begins to make sense as an incredibly appropriate response to the gospel that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so he opens up this teaching talking about our treasure. He says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I mean, it's this kind of incredibly famous line given by Jesus. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And oftentimes when we go to teach this passage specifically, what we will say is, hey, crack open your checkbook, crack open your bank account statement, let's see where you're spending your money, and that will kind of show us where your heart's at. We kind of use that as a diagnostic test, like everyone open your bank statement, This is kind of like the diagnostic test of where your heart's at because where you're spending money, there your heart is also. Or where your heart is, there your money will follow. And it kind of makes sense that that's how this teaching is often given in a consumeristic society because that's kind of how we react in the world is that we see a thing, we want a thing, we develop almost kind of emotions for the thing until we can get the thing and then we grow bored with the thing pretty quickly. Like, this is how it works. And so what often happens is that our money will follow our heart. When I was in high school, the second generation iPod had come out, the 32 gigabyte iPod. For almost a year, I coveted and wanted that 32 gigabyte iPod, wanted it desperately. I got a job that allowed me to (laughs) make the $300 that required to purchase this iPod. And I was excited. I was, I was ecstatic. I got the iPod, and it's like, here it is, 32 gigabytes. It holds all of my music in one place. No more CDs, you know, no more 
um, scratching, no more skipping, no more nothing. You know, all those problems that you had in the early 2090s, gone because of the iPod, second generation. But guess what? I have no idea where that iPod's today. I thought I knew where it was. I went to go look for it. It's not there. And amongst all the moves and as technology has progressed, and, you know, I've got iPhone, iPad, you know, all of that. You're like, who needs, who needs an iPod of 32 gigs anymore? If I found it, I don't even know if it would hold a charge. But, man, I kind of want it just for, like, nostalgic reasons, you know. It's like, look at this piece of, like, ancient history, and it's, like, from 2008. Like, we're not, it's not that old. But the reality is, is that what happens is that, like, we... We have this heart issue where we set our heart on this thing, and then often our, our treasure will follow after it. And this is oftentimes how we see this passage, is that it's purely diagnostics, that, we, that what we need to do then is go back and we need to try harder with our bank statements. That we just need to try harder and be more intentional about where we spend our money that maybe we should be better stewards of our money. That's a good Christian word, stewards. You know, you never hear that word anywhere else but inside the church, right? I mean, never do you hear like, oh, yeah, I was stewarding this well. But in the church, we use it all the time. But, but it's this idea of like managing our money well. We want to manage it well. And there's kind of the self-righteousness around it. But what I think Jesus is getting at here is much, much deeper than all of that. And what he's getting at in this passage is that it reads, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What he's talking about is that there's a real practical and tangible way for heart transformation to take place. And that is to begin intentionally investing where you want, where you want your heart to grow. Intentionally begin to invest where you want your heart to grow. And we see this happen all the time in our world. Because if you want a friend, what do you have to do? You have to stop doing whatever it is that you are doing and pivot towards a person and invest time and energy and emotional energy into that relationship. And the more and more energy and the more and more time you invest and the more and more time that you spend with a friend, the deeper that friendship goes and the more that there's a love towards that friend. I cannot tell you the number of times that I've run into a person, a person that I thought we would probably never be friends, or at least I didn't know how we would break the ice, and then we spent some time together, and we started to spend some more and more time together, we spent more and more time together, and there is a deep friendship that's formed. It's because investment came first. My heart didn't look at that person and was like, oh, that person, I want to be their best friend. It was actually like, I don't know how I'm going to be friends with this person. We started spending time together, and we began to invest. And there, my heart grew. But also kind of begins with your home. Think about your home. When you first move into a home, a brand new home or apartment, it's completely empty. It's completely sterile. It's not necessarily maybe the way that you would like it. It's kind of left the way that, um, that it was whenever you got it. And so you've got to come in, and you've got to make that home you got to make that house a home. And so you invest in it. You invest time in it. You invest money. You invest paint. You invest sweats and tears and moving furniture and hanging pictures and moving that picture over here and moving that furniture over there and trying different places until eventually you say, ah, I think this place is home. Sure, you might have loved the house to begin with, but 
It wasn't, the ho- it wasn't quite yet the home until the investment came. And think about your hobbies. The more and more time you spend on a hobby, the more and more you invest in a hobby, the more and more you love that hobby. You can also think about like just real investments in life, like real like stock purchases. You know, you probably don't care about the stock market unless you have investments. I don't have an investment. I don't really care about the stock market. I do care about the stock market because I know how it affects you guys that do have stocks. And so I do care on that level. But it's not as if I own stock because if I own stock, I'd be an emotional mess. Like I'm not supposed to be the person that's going to manage your portfolio. Because if I see that stock price diving, I'm going to be like, where's your extra cash? Because we need to buy now. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I'd be freaking out. I'd be like, we're losing money. Mayday. Because there's an emotional attachment. And I would want that company to do well. If I invested money in that company, I probably wouldn't even care. If you're like, Justin, here's $5. Go invest in this company over there. I'm going to be that company's number one fan tomorrow. I'm going to be like, I want you to succeed. I'm going to do some research about it. I'm going to go talk to my friends about it. Be like, you need, to, you need to invest in this company, and this is why. Because where your treasure is, there your heart grows. And so the good news is that there's transformation that can occur. That it's not just this diagnostic where we have to like look at the bank statement and beat ourselves up. But there's actual kind of a question of value. What do you want to value? Where do you want to place your treasure? And it's okay if your heart's not there. There's a lot of times when my heart's not there, and we do it anyways. It's the hardest thing as a millennial that we can do. I mean, as millennials, we want our hearts behind it 120% before we're going to put anything else behind it because we feel like our our feelings are truth. But Jesus is saying the thing that's more true is begin to invest where I am. Begin to invest where I am calling. Begin to invest where I am doing stuff. Begin to invest where I am moving. And I will transform your heart along the way. And so if you want to love something more, you need to invest in it. And so how is this true for you? I've kind of shared some ways how this is true in in my life. But how is this true for you? How have you seen investment over time grow your love for something? How have you, what is God building inside of you? What do you find yourself spending more and more time on? And because you're spending your time on that, your love for that thing is increasing. I mean, that could be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on what that thing is. But it's true. Wherever we spend investment time, there our heart will grow. I experienced this um, in my marriage. The more and more time that Rebecca and I spend together, it's kind of weird if Rebecca and I go on vacation together and we get a lot of time together where we get to invest in each other, it's hard to come back to the real world. It's hard to come back to where I have to be gone during the day and she has to take care of Benjamin during the day. And I miss her a ton because my love for her has grown incredibly. What I find is that with this church, with Damascus Road Church, my love for this church and my love for you guys has grown exponentially. Why? Because I spend time with you guys. I live life with you guys. I'd never been to this church, or at least this side of the church, until I was asked to come teach here. And I knew none of you. And now I can name all of you. And I love it. And I've been to all, mostly all of your homes. That we've shared dinner. We've broken bread. We've shared life. And it's beautiful. And the more and more time we spend together, the more and more my love 
grows for this church. I was at a, a party last week, and it was with some people that were from both campuses, both Park Street and here at West, and I was talking to this friend, and I was like, you know what? I was like, Damascus Road Church is a great place. It's a good deal. I'm like, because there are really good people here. I mean, the thing that I love about my job is I get to engage in both campuses. I mean, I get to engage with almost the entire church because I've got West, I've got, I've got relationships at Park Street from before, but then I've also got the student ministry that I'm running, which includes relationships from both Park Street and West. And so just this whole picture that I get of the church, the more and more time I invest in it, the more and more I fall in love with it. I will say there was a time in my life and. Rebecca and I's life where giving to the church was kind of a hard thing to do, especially when we first got married. We first got married that first year of marriage. It was hard to give. There were a lot of expenses. We were trying to figure out our expenses. It was very difficult for us to give. But there was this kind of call that we heard in God's, in our hearts, that like we need to give more, that God was calling us to invest more. My heart wasn't in it. I grew up a very stingy person. I grew up a person that would not tip well. I was that person that if you were my server, you did not want me because I thought a dollar tip was cool. Um, and it wasn't until I moved to Madison and I had friends that were like, dude, that's not cool to tell me that, you know. Um, and I just, I just didn't see it. I just didn't see it. I was very tight. I was very frugal. And, you know, but over time I heard God work at me, say, hey, I want you to be more generous. I want you to be more generous. And it was painful. It was painful to write that tip for just, 10% to start there, and then 15%. And the beautiful thing is that today, I don't even think about percentages. I think about 20% or more. But it's definitely going to be somewhere up there, and it's because God, over time, in working on my heart, has said, hey, I want you to invest here. I want you to invest here. And he did that with giving at the church. I didn't want to give to the church. I didn't know how they are going to spend my money. I'm a millennial. I care about these things. I care about transparency and fiscal responsibility, and we all know that the church is incredibly inefficient. It's not a secret. But I heard God say, I need you to be faithful to my church. When the Israelites came and presented offerings to me, guess what happened to it? It turned to dust. It turned to dust. And that's how I want you to see your offering. That's how I want you to see your generosity grow into this church because I'm here, I'm among these people, I'm doing stuff with these people, and I'm wanting to grow and move in them. And so I need you to invest here. And I don't care how mundane, I don't care how irresponsible that you think that that feels, this is what I'm calling you to do in faithfulness. And in that, my heart for the church began to grow. And this is before coming on staff even became an option or anything like that happened. My heart began to grow, and then through that, God brought me and called me to be on staff here. And I've just been incredibly blessed by that challenge and how the way that God has transformed my heart by the simple truth of investing our treasures. And so that's how he begins the teaching. He then moves to this kind of talk about a good eye and a bad eye. And we really don't know what he's really getting at here, but commentators in the context have said that they believe that this good eye it's kind of this eye of generosity. And that a, a life lived generously brings light. And this, this term light often refers to life and joy and flourishing. And so the idea is that when we have good eyes, when we live a life of generosity, we are people that participate in 
giving life and joy and flourishing to those that are around us. And then this eye of darkness is actually this kind of self-centeredness, stinginess, kind of anxious person that says, I don't know if I'm going to be generous or not. And there he says, that's a life filled with darkness. And darkness is often associated with confusion, loneliness, fear, and death. I mean, you ever just close yourself into a dark room where you can't see anything, spin yourself around, you're going to be confused and not knowing which direction you're going. You're going to feel lonely, because, and it doesn't matter how many people are around you because you can't see them. And you're probably going to be afraid. And then that ultimately leads to a place of death. And when we're selfish, it just is kind of what happens. It's a metaphor for the soul. Is that over time we get confused at what our values are. And oftentimes those values lead us to a place of dark loneliness and a place that's driven by fear and anxiety. And Jesus kind of then belabors this point between the good eye and the bad eye by talking about serving two different masters. And he then names these masters as you can't serve God and money. Essentially, he's saying, hey, when I'm talking about heaven and earth, what I'm actually talking about is that (laughs) where's your treasure? Is it in your money or is it in the heaven? Is it in the kingdom of God that I'm building where I am Lord? Or is it in this place on earth where you get to be Lord? Where is that treasure at? And then what I love is that he addresses the fear that we all have around our finances and around real investment. Even, even not even just financial investment, but even relational investment, right? Because like, it takes a lot to walk across the room and say hi to someone and try to invest a relationship. It takes a lot to pick up the phone and say, hey, do you want to come over and have lunch? Like Those are real hurdles and barriers that prevent us from experiencing life and joy and flourishing in relationship and friendship with people, right? Because we get anxious. We get afraid. We begin to ask this question, do I have enough? Or am I enough? And so Jesus talks about all these physical things. He talks about clothing and food, and, and really it's kind of tied to this kind of like financial burden and physical resource needs. But I think that it's actually much deeper than all of that, and that really this question is that Jesus is getting at is that Do you think that you're enough? Do you think that you have enough? Do you think that I'm going to provide enough for you? No matter where that venue's at, whether that's friendships, whether that's relationships, whether that's financially, whether that's starting a new enterprise, the fear is, when we're anxious, is, am I enough? And Jesus says, you are enough. Because I've made you enough. I've invested in you. I've given my life to you. And now because of that, go and invest in my kingdom. Be confident. Go in power and in boldness. Being a witness, which has to do with the serving and sharing in your local context all the way to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus acknowledges our fears but he discards them as illegitimate. And so the next time you find yourself anxious, whether it's anxious about finances, whether it's anxious about what God is calling you to do next, whether it's just general anxiety about maybe even your relationship with your husband or your wife or your kids, where you're questioning, am I enough? You you just need to kind of go to this passage and say, Jesus acknowledges our fear, but then he says that it's illegitimate and he dismisses it because he's fulfilled it. 
And we need to live in that place where we know that our anxieties are taken care of, where we are enough, because that's where we're going to be able to then do the thing that God has called us to do, and that is to invest in one another. And so I want to ask these questions again. What does God care about? What is God doing? And how is God moving? These are the questions that we as a church kind of ask when we kind of move forward in mission. And so one of these things that we've seen God moving and we've asked this question of what does God care about, we've seen the uh, orphanage in Mexico, Living Hope. We've seen the work that they're doing there. We see that God is blessing that work. We see that God is moving there. And so we decided as a church that we want to invest there. And so we invest real dollars there um, on a monthly basis. But it's bigger than just money because we then put these kids and their stories in front of us weekly. And they are in this pamphlet right here. I mean, every week they're in the bulletin. And we encourage you to rip it off, pray over this, pray over this kid for this week. And see what that does to your heart. See how that transforms you. See how that begins to move you to this place of where you are at, where God is at. That you're doing something that God is already doing. That you are moving in a place that God is already moving. Because one of the first places that we can begin to invest is in our prayer lives. One of the first places that we can begin to partner with God is in prayer. And so I just encourage you to begin that this week, if you haven't already, to pray over these kids. And so... That's one of the things that we as a church are doing. We're investing in living hope because we see that God cares about this. We see that God is moving there. And then we hope in the future to be able to take students there. Hopefully this fall, next spring, Shannon and I are going to take a kind of a trip to Mexico to scope it out, check it out, see and imagine what a trip to Mexico would be like. Hopefully come back and then in 2018, 19, we'd be able to lead, hopefully summer of 19, we'd be able to lead our first trip of students to Mexico. That some of these students that we're praying for here, that we're investing in week to week, our students would be able to meet them, to hear their story. And so it's much bigger than just praying for a bunch of kids on Sunday morning. It's about investing where God is at. We invest in Wright Middle School we partnered with Wright Middle School. Wright Middle School came to Damascus Road and said, hey, we need some help here. And we said, all right, what do you need? Before Wright Middle School came to Damascus Road, I didn't care about Wright Middle School. I didn't, care. I didn't even know they exist. But since they came and they said, hey, we need some help here, and we responded with the binder drive, and then they're like, hey, we also need some tutors. And so I took some time and I tutored this last year at Wright Middle School. I have fallen in love with that school. They are doing incredible things as a public school in Madison, right there on Fish Hatchery Road. Incredible things. Growing up young men and women to be responsible young men and women as they move on to high school. Literally transforming lives right there in that school. The teachers and the staff there are amazing people. But the reality is, is that I didn't love or care about them until I invested. And we at Damascus Road are seeking to invest deeper and greater relationships there at Wright Middle School. There's an opportunity this week where we can partner with them to help them uh, put on, uh, they're, they're putting on school uniforms, and so they need a whole bunch of people to help them with the fittings. And so there's been an email that's gone out that said, hey, if you want to, to help with this, 
Um, it's this Thursday, Friday. You know, you can sign up and you can go and begin investing there. Um, it's going to last into the evening. And so if you've got a job where you can't invest during the day, you can go invest in the evening, help these kids get uniformed so that they can have a good and productive school year next year. I mean, it's kind of in these simple things that God kind of does the miraculous in. A lot of times we want mission to be spectacular. We want it to be kind of star-studded. We want it to be kind of gripping and awe-inspiring. But real the reality is that when it comes to investing, it's really, really simple. And it's in the mundane. It's in the everyday. I mean, we just had an open house at Park Street, right? And the, park, the open house at Park Street was really, really straightforward. We just gave a bunch of food away. And we had a bounce house. I mean, we put up a bounce house. We gave a bunch of food away. We had a child... Uh, performer, and that was, that was about it. But just by giving a bunch of food away, even though that costs some money, we made a bunch of friends in the neighborhood. There's a pregnancy center down the road that we didn't know about that came to our open house and said, hey, we're a pregnancy center, and we would love to partner with you guys. And Damascus Road was like, all right, yeah, what are your values? Yeah, it all checked out. We're like, what do you need? They're like, well, we could really use some diapers right now. And Damascus Road has kind of planned in advance that we would give away 13% of our budget of what comes in to be able to help and serve the missions around the world. And a lot of times that 13% goes to regular-based missions like serving the orphanage in Mexico or serving Josh Montague with TLI. That's where a lot of that 13% goes. But whenever we have a little extra in a month, whenever we've met all of those giving obligations, we have extra, that goes out the door. And because last quarter was incredibly generous by us and by our congregation, when the Pregnancy Center was able to come to us and say, hey, we're, we're new in town, we see that you're new in town, we'd like to partner, we need some diapers, we were able to then say, hey, actually, we have $600 to be able to go and fill your diaper closet with diapers. And it's because you guys invested. You guys invested into this church, you guys invested into the mission of this church, not knowing what God was going to do with it. And what I find is that that is the beauty of investment, is that you don't know what's going to happen next. And a lot of times when we invest, we want to know the end game. We want to know the end. We want to know the future. We want to know why am I doing this. But when we invest in God and God's kingdom, we don't have to know the end game. We just have to trust that God will be faithful, and he is. A lot of times I'm asked, what do I do with my job? What does my job look like from a day-to-day, week-to-week basis? And that is one of the most difficult questions I can answer because it changes from week to week. And there's just times where I have feelings and nudges where God's like, I want you to read this book. I want you to sit in silence. I want you to meditate. I want you to journal. And then I want you to go and have lunch with this person. And you're like, what does all of this have to do with anything? Like, how is this a job? Like, I feel dirty doing that sometimes, if I can just, like, get that off my chest, like, because, I mean, what type of job is that? To read, to think, to pray, to meditate, and then go have lunch, right? But what's crazy is that time and time again, even if it's stuff that, like, I'm like, God, I don't know why I'm having this, reading this book, I don't know why I'm having this conversation, there comes an incident, about three to six months down the road, to where, like, I can be like, thank God I read that book, thank God I had that lunch, because I'm in a position to where I can then bless and encourage these people in their faith. And I'm just blown away by it because it is really hard. It is really hard for me as your pastor at times to sit down and invest into things to where I can't sit, legitimately tell you why I'm investing in it. 
that's a hard thing because we live in a world where we get stuff done and where there's accountability and where we want people that be held accountable for. And so if you were to come to me and be like, Justin, I want a count of your time, I can't justify all of it all the time. Not yet, at least. Because all I can say is I'm investing. I'm trying to be faithful where God has called me to invest. And I'm trusting that in six months from now, maybe we'll see some fruit from that. And what I believe to be true is that when you plan well, when you prepare well for God to move, when you invest on the front end, we can then be prepared for when God actually moves. And so when, when we gave this last quarter incredibly generously, we didn't know what that money was going to go towards. We had no idea. We had this open house. God provided this pregnancy center. They had an incredible need. We were able to say, we believe that's where God has prepared us to invest. And so investing, sure, we invested diapers, but guess what more we invested? We invested in relationship with that organization. The organization knows that we're a place that has their back. And when you're in a city like Madison, you, just, you need to know that someone's got their back. They need to know that we're brothers and sisters, that we're in this thing together. And so the question is, is how do we prepare well then? How do we prepare well for when God moves? How do we invest on the front end so that we're ready to go and hit enter when God makes the call? And I think that we grow in three areas to do this. I think, number one, we grow in giving. We grow in giving. And this is tough. It's tough as a church to be like, hey, guys, we need to grow in giving. We need more money. That's a tough thing to say. But it's the reality. We're doing good financially. We're good. But we're not in a position to grow. We're just not. Like, just this last quarter was the first quarter that in a long time that we were able to give extra to the community around us. And so for, if we're going to grow in mission, if we're going to grow in these community relationships, if we're going to grow in opportunity, we just need, we need more resources. And so we need to be able to grow in giving so we can say yes to more. The second thing that we need to grow is in service. And again, this is a really tough thing to say because this church, 90, 95% of this church serves regularly, day in, day out. So the last thing I want to do is stand up here and say, hey, you know what? You that are serving, giving your heart for this church, who love this church, do more of that. I don't want to say that. That's not what I'm saying. But I think what we do need to do is we need to grow in our intentionality around our service. And we've seen this in the worship team and we've seen this in the children's team. The worship team has come together and they're like, hey, we've been serving on worship for a while, but it felt like we've kind of just like hit this groove of kind of like going through the motions. We need to, we need to mix it up. We need, to, we need to talk about the way that we're serving. And so I don't know if you've noticed, but I've noticed over time that there's been a greater intentionality around how the service is structured. There's a greater intentionality around how the, the songs are sung and how there's thoughts interjected into worship. And hopefully over time you found that worship has been growing at this church where we can engage in it more. Hopefully you've seen with Children's Church that there's been more organization, there's been more intentionality, that there's a greater investment in our children because of the way that Emily has stewarded that and led that. And we need more of that. We need more imagination. We need more creativity. If we want to love Verona well, we need places where we can invest in Verona. And I'm all ears to that. I meet with our deacons. I just started meeting with our deacons monthly so that we can begin to answer some of these questions, begin to try and lead us 
in some places to where we as Damascus Road can invest more in our service. And so I want to hear your first thank you. Thank you for your service. A couple weeks ago, Dennis was like, I led music for a whole month. Dennis, thank you. Thank you for that. And I know you don't do it for the thanks. I know you don't do it for anything, but I want you to know you're valued and you're appreciated. And I know all of you, whether it's driving the truck, whether it's set up, I, I want you guys to hear, thank you. Thank you for investing into this church. Thank you for investing into me. Thank you for investing into our family. But if we're going to continue to grow, we need, and it's not even just grow as in numbers, but I'm talking grow in our hearts, grow into the things that God loves and that God wants us to love. We need to continue to grow in service. And then finally, we need to grow in relationship. Community groups are an incredible thing. We do community groups really well here at Damascus Road. But what I also find is that a lot of times our relationships stay kind of in that community group. And what I've also found is that for as small as this church is, there are some families in this church who have not had dinner with other families in this church. And that kind of blows my mind. And so one of the things that Rebecca and I have felt called to do is to take a small step back from our current community group, but also to engage in the greater community of the church. And we begin to have people over from all across the church for dinner and to begin to invest there. And the more I invest into all of the families in the church, the more and more I love this church. And what's cool is that there's going to be a point in time where I'm going to bring some families together that have said, you know what, I've not had dinner with that family. And we're going to be like, hey, let's have dinner together at my house. And we're going to grow as a church and in relationship and in community. When we can begin to bring our spheres of influence and our spheres of friends together and begin to invest in one another, the better we're going to be. Last night, Jonathan had one of his really dear friends over to my house. And it was an incredibly rich night. Jonathan's like, sorry, man, that I don't bring my spheres together that often. I'm like, it's all right. I'm glad that it's happening. I'm glad it's happening now. It was rich to be able to grow in relationship with his friend. It was rich to be able to pray for his friend as his friend's about to move away from here. But man, it was nice to just to be able to say and be together and share time together. Like I said, investment doesn't have to look flashy. It can actually look really mundane. We just sat in the driveway and chatted. That's as glamorous as it got. But it was time spent together and it was rich and it was good. And so my question for us this morning as we think about mission, as I think about these ideas of where is God moving? What does God care about? What is he calling you to invest in? Where is he calling to grow your heart in? Maybe it is in the place of giving. Maybe it's in the place of relationship. Maybe it's in the place of service. Maybe God has wired you in a way that you're like, we need to serve in these areas more, and we could do this service better. Maybe God has wired you in a way to say we can do relationship better or more in this area. Or maybe you just say to yourself and say, I could do relationship better in this way. Or I could do giving better in this way. The reality is that whatever it is, it's probably uncomfortable right now. There's probably some anxiety that says, I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I'm good enough to invite that person over to my house. I know it sounds really foolish, spoken out loud, but I know that that's what goes through our brains. I know that's what goes through our minds. It's such a barrier to get people over because we're just like, is the house clean? Am I good enough? Are they going to 
Are they going to appreciate me? Are they going to appreciate the food I make? Like, there's all of these excuses. And God, Jesus says, don't worry about those. Invest in my kingdom. Seek first my kingdom. And so that's kind of my question. It's this place of kind of high invitation. Because we do this life together. We do this life together as a body. So I invite you to hear from God. And I challenge you with kind of this high challenge to be able to respond in ways that are incredibly uncomfortable. Because God wants to transform your heart. And he wants to move you by first changing where your treasure's at. So my prayer is that your heart would continue to grow for Damascus Road. My prayer is that your heart would grow for Verona. That your heart would grow for the relationships inside these rooms. That if there is someone that you've not had dinner with in this church, in this room, like, get them over. I know that I still haven't had everyone over yet. I'm working on it. So if I haven't gotten to you, know that it's coming, all right? But I just want you to know, this is, this is where I think we grow as a church. I think this is where we grow towards the things that God has called us to do, and this is how we do it together in community, because we're better together. We just are. We're better together. So we need to invest where God has called us to invest in. As we come to communion time, I want us to kind of reflect on a God who is always on mission for us, who's always seeking us, who gave up his most valued treasure so that we could be treasured, who gave up his son to die so that we could have a treasure. Because Jesus is the treasure. Jesus Christ is Lord, is the treasure that we get to receive. He's the hope that we have in this life. He's the joy that we have in this life. He's the reason why we're having this conversation, why any of this matters. And so as we come to a time of worship and reflection and prayer and communion, I just want us to think about those things. We want us to think about the God who invested it all into us and how he might be calling us to be on mission, how he might be even us to, to invest in faith, not knowing how the end game is going to work out, trusting that he's going to move because he will. And I'm excited for him to move through Damascus Road. He's already moving, and I believe he's got way more to do through us. He's not finished with us yet. Would you guys pray with me? Dear Lord God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time that we have together. I thank you for your teaching on treasures and on our hearts and on mission. God, I pray that we would go with power. I pray that we would go with creativity. I pray that we would go with boldness. I pray that we would be encouraged to do the simple things in our life that are investing, maybe even in ways that we don't even realize are investing. But God, I pray that you would grow that more. God, I pray wherever we're kind of uncomfortable, wherever we're kind of shifting, wherever you're kind of poking your finger this morning, God, I pray that we would know that that's in love, that that's not in condemnation. And God, that you want to grow us, that you want to have Damascus Road do more and be more for your kingdom and for your glory. And God, we want that too. And we humbly come to you this morning with open hearts and open minds and open arms saying, God, use us. Allow us to be your hands and feet. God, allow us to see the fruit from the places that we've invested already. God, may you give us stories of your faithfulness. In your name we pray. Amen.